love them for it. Amen? Or now you can hit record. All right. I didn't want that to be immortalized on, on tape. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's get back into our Sunday school lesson uh, where, of course, we are using John Frame's systematic theology as the skeleton. And I have rather enjoyed going through Frame's work. In fact, so much that I decided to listen to a 24-hour uh, lecture <laughs> Uh, from John Frame on uh, philosophy, and I started that, and I'm going to try in the next three weeks to get through listening to his book on philosophy. Uh, but uh, we've been talking about the Acts of the Lord, and uh, and we're in the 10th chapter of this book on systematic theology. I hope that you all have really gleaned a lot out of this. I hope I'm not the only one gleaning. <laughs> Uh, and it's good to take a much broader and more general look at our faith and try to work through it and get a grasp of what the Bible says as a whole, what the Bible teaches as a whole. Uh, everything we believe is about God. <laughs> and uh, that's so systematic theology uh, tries to make a coherent, uh, uh, derive a coherent set of beliefs that you can carry throughout the scriptures and and consistently, um, consistently uh, invoke in your reading. We've been talking about God specifically, and before a frame here, he uses a method of looking at the acts of the Lord first before we start talking about the attributes, uh, because God is revealed to us in what he has done, in the works that he has done. He has done wonders, according to the song uh, in uh, Exodus 15, he has done wonders. Uh, so we know of God because of what he does, and God, even revelation of God in the scriptures, uh, whereby, we, where, where, whereby we withdraw out the attributes and the things that we believe about God are a product of what he has done. Uh, this book right here is a product of, of the miraculous, the extraordinary working and revealing of God's lordship in all things. And he, is, he has moved and acted upon men in such a way to produce the revelation of himself. So we're looking at the acts of God first. And there are three acts. We talked about uh, the miraculous. So we talked about miracle. So we're really working our way backwards. God has made himself known in, what's a miracle? Extraordinary, the extraordinary. So the extraordinary. I forgot how to spell it. Oh well. The extraordinary acts of God whereby he manifests himself to be Lord. Uh... So the miracle is the extraordinary acts. God has not suspended any kind of natural law, but God has asserted his lordship, his absolute control, his absolute authority, his absolute presence in an extraordinary way, and he has made himself known. And then we talked about providence. We spent several weeks talking about providence, and it's very rich, but what is what, what, what is providence? The ordinary acts of God whereby he displays or manifests himself as Lord. 
So uh, the heavens declare the glory of God. Uh, the firmament shows his handiwork. When we're looking at the ordinary acts, whether it's uh, at the atomic level or, or uh, the, the galaxy <laughs> level, uh, we're seeing or the ordinary acts of God. And we saw that those are efficacious. God is working his will, uh, and that will will be done. Uh, what he has set out to do will be done. What he has spoken will be done. Uh, and his decrees will come to pass. And it is universal. Well, we start with, the, with nature itself and we work down the human history, down to the individual, down to individual decisions that are being made. Is God using and working those things towards his ultimate end? We talked about why he does this. We talked about eschatology as this, as this um, ethical system whereby God is manifesting in, in his ends his purposes. So when we're studying the ends, uh, the end of all things, we are looking at where Christ, where God is carrying all things. And that sets our priorities. It sets, it sets what's important to us. And, uh, we, and we also talked about how God is working that, how God is manif manifesting that. So you and I are making personal free decisions to, uh, as, as far as we can use that word free. Uh, so is everybody else. So is Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi and Mitch McConnell and 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 uh, whoever the leader of China is. They're all making these individual decisions, but God is also making decisions, uh, and He is guiding all things towards an ultimate end. So there's there's secondary causes of you and I and everyone else and everyone, all other things that are happening, but God is underneath that working all things towards His gold so the acts of god in miracle the acts of god in providence and now the acts of god in creation we have actually worked backwards and we've arrived at this matter of creation itself and we're going to spend the next few weeks talking about creation so uh so he's displayed his mighty acts now if god is lord over everything in the course of events can he be Lord? Is, can he be anything less than Lord at the beginning of all things? Uh, we, we, the beginning can be no exception to this, uh, and no exception to the fact that he is working all things according to his own will. Uh, and, and so the creation exhibits his lordship just as miracle and just as providence does oh um he spent some time here uh defining what he means by creation and this may get a little heavy as far, far as philosophy but i think it's a it's a very good thing for us to get into is defining what we mean by creation because you'll find as you study out christian literature that it ha doesn't always mean the same thing uh, anybody ever heard of Thomas? No, I mean, not, not our brother Thomas here. Anybody ever heard of uh, Thomas Aquinas? Uh, he, was a, he was a scholastic philosopher around 1200s. And, uh, and he, what, when he spoke of creation, he spoke of it in a very Aristotelian way. 
He, he built a lot of what, what he believed on Aristotle's philosophy. And with Aristotle, there was no beginning of matter. There was no beginning uh, there was no beginning of, of the world. The world just always was. And Thomas Aquinas, when he wanted to present the Christian religion, he wanted to present it in Aristotle's, uh, in Aristotle's scheme. Uh, that there is this eternalness to matter, this eternalness to space. There's an etern- a creation itself is eternal. It's always been here. So Aquinas says creation is just that very dependence of creation on its creator at all times. So in this world, the world in this sense, he's believed that the world depended on God every moment, which is true. But we saw that under providence. Uh, we saw that under this idea that he, God is preserving all things metaphysically. If God was to withdraw his lordship from, any, from anything, that thing would cease to be. In him we do live and move and have our being. But Aristotle said, well, or not Aristotle, but Aquinas built on Aristotle believed that that's not so. The universe had no beginning. Creation had no beginning. Creation always was and always will be. And therefore, when when Aquinas comes around and teaches his Christian thought, he says creation is simply the world depending on God for its being, uh, for its origination. Uh, So many theologians have continued this, uh, that creation is this continuous thing that always has been. Uh, And and God is just simply the ground for what exists. In creation, God produces being. Uh, So there's this this idea, of a false idea of continuous creation. So is it continuous? And I want to give our theology here in a second, but this, this continuous act of God, of upholding all things, is that what is meant by creation? And of course, when you buy into this continuous creation, uh, you're going to find yourself uh, dismissing much of God's word. Anybody ever heard of, well, you, I know you all have heard of evolution, right? All right, we're all on the same page. Anybody ever heard of theistic evolution? What's theistic evolution? Anybody know who uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci's boss is? Anybody? The leader of the Department of Health. What? No, it's not. Okay. Uh, Oh, my goodness. It slipped my mind. Who is the leader of the Department of Health? Francis Collins. All right, you've heard of Francis Collins? All right, he is a theistic evolutionist. He, he started this, this Christian group called Biologos. And he is Anthony Fauci's boss. <laughs> uh, so so what, what, what Biologos believes is almost, is almost like this, this theistic evolution that everything you see does not prove God, it does not manifest God's lordship, but God is, the, God is creator only in the sense that 
He's there to uphold it. And God is using this process of evolution to continue. And there's really no difference between this and a belief in atheistic evolution. It's just biologos and people like Francis Collins will say that God is only needed as an Aristotelian sense of a prime mover. And everything moves because God, but you cannot detect God anywhere. Uh, it's hard to believe that uh, Francis Collins uh, is a Bible believer in any sense of the word. Uh, and he's praised for being this, uh, for being this uh, uh, great uh, Christian influence on the world, when really what he is teaching is not Christian at all. Uh, it's much more akin to Aquinas and Aristotle than it is to Christ. Uh, Aquinas held this position uh, because he could not overcome by natural reason Aristotle's arguments for the eternality of the world itself. And to see how that fits with uh, evolution, anybody remember Carl Sagan? Carl Sagan used to have a show on PBS, right? About, uh, about the cosmos, <laughs> about science. And he would always say, the cosmos, that's the universe, is all there is and all there was and all there ever will be. And once you assert that the creation has always been here, then, you're, then you don't, don't have a point in which creation ever became or was actualized. And, Arist and Aquinas conceded that and tried to fit a Christian scheme around that. Uh, and you see a lot of people as well today trying to fit a Christian scheme around an ungodly system. And it's not good. Creation does indeed have a continuous dependence, but that's not the act of creation, that's the act of providence. And God is manifest in the act of, he is seen here, unlike what biologos and the theistic evolutionists want to claim. He is seen in the things that happen. He is manifest. He, he is really there. So, so to try to just slap a Christian scheme to this and say creation has a continuous dependence upon God for its being uh, is, is not necessarily a biblical idea. So, so this is just mistaking mistaking uh, providence for the world itself. So, so Aquinas followed by uh, the, tom, the, 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 the uh, scholastic tradition in Christianity continues to have this uh, continuous dependence uh, uh, idea that they are portraying. And that's why when we go to a much liberal churches, uh, we're not going to find a robust idea or teaching on creation. It's given that everything about evolutionary theory is correct, but there still has to be a God. <laughs> but we don't have a reason for a God to exist other than he's the prime mover. We need him just for there to be something rather than nothing. And it's just a hop, skip, and a jump to say, why do we need God at all in such a world? Uh, so I, I was reading uh, uh, last night... Uh, some, sometimes I'm just trying to get some reading in while Eli's taking a bath or something. That's my reading time. I'll sit there and, 
and let them play in the water and I'll read. Uh, but, uh, oh man, I forgot his name. Uh, but I was reading on reading this uh, this Christian uh, design, intelligent design advocate, and he was telling the story of someone he was dealing with that says they lost their faith by reading a theistic evolutionist who kept pointing out, well, we don't need God to explain this. We don't need God to explain that. We don't need to explain how this became and how this became in the being and how this became in the being because the evolution itself shows us. And But we still need God. And the question that the guy posed um, was this. If evolution explains why everything is the way it is, then why do I need God? And he left the faith because he was following people like Francis Collins and Biologos who said God is not manifest here in any specific way. And why do they say that? Because they says God's not needed here. So this is the continuous creation idea. And, and there's, there's been people that has embraced this uh, throughout time, even, even in what we would call quote-unquote reform circles. Um, many of the early, some of the earlier reformers uh, regarded continuous creation as, as a viable uh, way to look at the world. Uh, most recent thinkers, uh, he says, perhaps in part doesn't, why, why, why is this still in prayer? Why, why do we have people like Francis Collins and people like Biologos that think this is a good way to look at the world? Well, because it reduces the effort for them to try to locate creation in calendar time. Because you don't have to describe creation anymore. You don't have to locate it. You don't have to say, well, it happened here in the timeline. It also keeps them from, keeps them from having to, to uh, reconcile what they believe as Christians, supposedly Christians, it keeps them from having to work to reconcile Christian belief with modern science. They allow modern science to say whatever modern science wants to say on whatever faulty authority modern science speaks, but at the same time, uh, they can hold on to a faith, faith as something completely separate and completely distinct and completely divorced from the real world. So I can say, well, Darwin was right. Of course Darwin is right. You've proved Darwin to be right. We don't need God. Uh, but my faith is completely different to that. My faith is completely divorced. So that's not what the Scriptures teach about creation. That is what the Scriptures teach about providence, but not in the way that they're saying like I was saying, like like I've already said three or four times, and I don't mean, um, but the scriptures teach creation not as continuous. Well, I got this somewhere. Not as continuous, but as direct. Direct creation is what we would call this. Direct creation. So, what is direct creation? Uh, that's the events of Genesis 1.1. Genesis 1.1 teaches us that God directly himself 
created all things. First, there's a first act of creation. Uh, and I'm getting ahead of myself. There's this first act of creation where God by himself creates ex nihilo. Anybody ever heard of that term ex nihilo? Okay, so oh, okay. So what what does it mean? All right, anybody ever heard of? <laughs> Sorry, anybody ever heard the term nihilism? Or someone's called nihilistic. It just means they don't believe in nothing. <laughs> They don't believe anything is knowable. They don't believe that, any, that they can communicate anything. They believe everything's meaningless. So this word nihilo means nothing. So that's nothing. And this word ek or ex means out of. And that's out of the Greek. So when we're talking about creation, Genesis 1-1, Hebrews chapter 11, very first three verses, teach, and other places, it's not just any of those, teach us that God created everything out of nothing. So, out of nothing. So, in the beginning was God. That's in the beginning of what? Time? So time had a start. Before time started, there was God. God, in the beginning, God created the heavens, space, and the earth, matter, everything that exists. Before that, there was nothing but God. And modern science will still go to this continuous idea. Uh, even though they now know there was a beginning, they'll say, well, it wasn't an absolute beginning. There was still gravity. That's Stephen Hawking's answer. <laughs> In the beginning was gravity, and gravity created all things. <laughs> and, uh, but that, that, is an, that is what we call idol-making. That's just as much idolatry as uh, the Canaanite carving out a piece of wood and bowing down to it. Uh, Stephen Hawking's had this idea of gravity. He says gravity... It, yeah, <laughs> it's really cool. But Stephen Hawking's had this idol, he called it gravity. And he worshipped gravity. He said gravity was absolute, which is no different than the ancient uh, verse uh, who said water was absolute or, or fire was absolute. Or, and they worshiped the sun, they worshiped the moon. And, you know, all these things, they're still idolatry. Uh, today we say uh, quantum mechanics is absolute. There's this randomness, and this randomness causes all things. And that's the absolute. Cre I, I quoted Hebrews 11. Uh, it says, by, uh, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. 
for by it we understand how, now I can't remember how it goes. Uh, uh, for by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand, through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So that the things which are seen, the phenomenal world, the things which are seen were not made of things which are phenomenal, which do appear. So he did it all from nothing. And to invoke something, something else other than this act ex nihilo, for the reason why things are is to make some kind of idol and say something else is absolute. Is to say that, some, that the, phenomenal, the phenomenal world exists because the phenomenal world caused the phenomenal world to exist. Or something, some part of the phenomenal world caused the rest of the phenomenal. It doesn't work. Um, there's nothing about gravity that explains why things are the way they are. Or why everything exists. Why there's something rather than nothing. So the scriptures confront us with this idea of ex nihilo. This is direct creation. God and nothing other than God created everything out of nothing. And then we have a second act of creation that is happening in Genesis. This is design, the creation of design. This is what we actually have in the first six days of creation. God is now working with pre-existing material. The material he just created in Genesis 1.1 is now, in the six days of creation, being designed. So he is causing living things to come out of the earth. He is causing... Uh, Fish and thing and creatures in the sea to come out of the sea even makes us not ex nihilo, but out of the dust of the ground. And he is creating these divisions. He is making distinctions in creation. So he is the beginning of all things. And that is directly opposed to what biologos the theistic evolutionists and the continue and and the and the uh, and the tradition of Thomas Aquinas God directly created uh, the beginning is a legitimate subject here that we're taking up there was a beginning the distinction between creation and the heaven and earth and God's later acts uh, he uh, of course uh, Frame calls this ex nihilo is the original creation, the original moment which all things came to be, and then the subsequent creation is the six days. That's how he titles it. I'm just going to call it ex nihilo, the act of creation ex nihilo, and then the act of creation by design, where he began to imprint purpose. What does the second verse of the Bible say? He created of heavens and the earth in the first verse. What does the second verse say? It was without form. It was void. And it was dark. 
that was the state of creation after the original act of creation. There was no purpose, there was no distinctions, there was no meaning, there was no light. And then what did he do? Six subsequent days, he took that formless creation and he gave it form. That voidless creation and he gave it meaning. That dark creation and he gave it light. Right? So those are the two acts of creation in the very first uh, uh, book of the Bible. So creation ex nihilo, out of nothing, then subsequent creation where he takes what he had already brought into existence... And begins to give it form and purpose, including you and me. So we could say that the first act of creation brings all things into existence. The second act of creation gives all things its purpose. Does that make sense? And he is exhibiting his lordship here uh, in all things. So there's an argument, uh, well, did God create from nothing or did God create... Uh, using pre-existing material? The answer is yes. Both. He did create all things out of nothing, and then he used the pre-existing material he brought into existence to form all things and give it purpose. Uh, so so that, that, that's the acts of creation here. So it's plain to see even those beings that God created after the event of Genesis 1-1 owe their existence entirely to the creative fact. So Frame gives a definition of creation here. Creation is an act of God alone by which, for his own glory, he brings into existence everything in the universe that had no existence prior to him. And then, what does it say he did on the seventh day? He rested. We live. What's the, what's the, anybody know what the second law of thermodynamics is? We experienced it, sadly. My knee hurts right now. <laughs> I'm wearing down. Yeah, everything breaks down over time. That's the law of entropy. Anybody know what the first law of thermodynamics is? No. <laughs> the first law says not, matter cannot be created or destroyed. In other words, the observable universe, what we observe in the universe is a finished creation. Nothing new is coming into existence. Ever. All right, that's Genesis 2, the very first few verses. And God rested from all of his works which he had made. Now, what it, he went from the work of creation to the work of providence and then to the work of miracle from there. But he has not taken up the matter of creation again, that is, until he creates us anew. But he rested from all of his labor. And... That's how this fits in the scheme. Now, for a few minutes, I want to start getting into the meat of our study of creation. And I'm not going to get any further than this first point, which is this. Creation is related to our worship. Creation is related to worship. 
There's no sense in me even, it takes too much effort to even erase all that. <laughs> so now we're just without a board. Uh, so the, as in miracle and providence, God creates the world as Lord. In fact, creation created this lordship creation relationship. It brought it into existence. The second he created, he was immediately related to this creation as Lord. And it reveals him, creation reveals him centrally as Lord. He's holy. And because of this, we bow and worship him. There are a lot of places in the scripture that make creation a liturgical thing that lead us to worship. Um, they, they present us as a reason for worshiping God. I want to look at some of them. Uh, we already know Psalm 19, 1 through 4. The heavens declare the glory of God's. The firmament shows us their handiwork. It all speaks so loudly of God. And it all... And it all is a matter of worship. Uh, Psalm 50. Just seeing the liturgical side of this. Psalm 50. My pages are sticking together. Psalm 50, verse uh, 6. Well, that's not right. All right, yeah, it, it is. He, verse 4, He shall call to the heavens from above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Gather my saints together unto me, those that have made a covenant with me by sacrifice, and the heavens shall declare his righteousness. For he is, the ju- he is judge himself. So creation uh, leads to worship. Uh, the heavens declare his righteousness. Psalm 89 Psalm 89 and verse 5. And the heavens shall praise thy wonders, O Lord, thy faithfulness also in the congregation of the saints. It leads to worship. Psalm 98, just a few pages over. Psalm 98 and verse 7 through 9. Let the sea roar in the fullness era of the world, and they that dwell therein. Let the floods clap their hands. Let the hills be joyful together before the Lord, for He comes to judge the earth. With righteousness He judges the world, and the people with equity. So creation, uh, creation is, uh, itself includes the inanimate objects themselves are worshiping God. Remember what Christ said uh, when when they were shouting Hosanna as he, wrote, as he rode into Jerusalem. And they told him, well, you tell these little ones to be quiet, right? We were crying Hosanna. What did he answer? If these would hold their peace, the rocks themselves would cry out. Creation worships its creator. Creation worships its creator. And when we think of God as creator, we encounter his holiness and we are moved to worship. Turn to Psalm 66. Uh, We know that God created everything in six days. 
And he also gave, based upon that law, that you should remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. For in six days, he says, God created all things that is in heaven, that is in earth, that is under the earth. And he set it aside. That's a picture of us finding our worship and finding our rest in the very facts of creation. Uh, God made the heavens and the earth in a sense and compared it, the created world, to his temple. Psalm 66, or Isaiah 66 rather. Isaiah 66. Thus says the Lord, the heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that ye build unto me? And where is the place of my rest? So Isaiah's prophecy here compares the created world to the temple itself. That this created realm in and of itself is a place where God is recognized and worshipped. In the Psalms and elsewhere in the scripture, consider the consideration of creation leads to worship. Time and time again in the Psalms. Uh, uh, Psalm 8. I really meant to go to this one last week for a point, and I, I, was, I, always, I always kick myself a little bit. Why didn't I go there? <laughs> uh, Psalm 8 uh, says, O Lord, how excellent... O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set his glory above the heavens, out of the mouth and bays and sucklings. Thou hast ordained strength because thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and avenger. Now, pay attention here. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man? You're mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him. His recognition of creation is breaking out here in song about his grace. Why did you even consider me, Lord? Why did you consider us at all? What brought him to this conclusion was a study of nature. It leads to worship. Paul told the Gentiles at Lystra and the Gentiles at Athens that God created all things. Therefore, they ought to repent. Therefore, they ought to worship God and not something less than God, like Hawking's worshiping gravity. <laughs> they shouldn't do that because creation demands God is worshipped. And He alone is worshipped. How absurd is it for men, and says Frame, in Romans one twenty five, to worship and serve the creature instead of the Creator? It's an absurdity. It makes everyone guilty, even if they've never cracked open a Bible. They already know He's Creator. I should be worshiping Him. That's 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 what creation teaches in and of itself. Creation motivates heavenly. Hymns, Revelation 4.11, we sing. That's Debbie's favorite song, right? Revelation 4.11, what does it say? 
Thou art worthy. Why is he worthy? Because he created all things. We don't really have to move any further than creation to know that God is to be worshipped. And that's part of what makes man so guilty. In worship, we thank our Creator. For instance, Psalm 139, we're considering God as Creator. And what does He say? And now I can't remember what it says. <laughs> uh, Psalm 139, one of my favorite psalms. Verse 14, I will praise thee. Why? For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. The study of creation, the consideration of creation, says to us that we ought to thank Him. And is that not what it went down to say in, in uh, Romans 1 itself? They worshiped the creature and said a creator. And it says right before that, it says, and neither were they thankful. We, we, uh, we recognize that he created us, and we thank him for it. Um, creation is a reason for us to turn to God for help. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills. Uh-oh, is that locked? <laughs> oh, no, I thought it was locked. I will lift up my eyes unto the hills. From whence cometh my help? Where does this help come from? My help comes from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. And it's He that will not suffer my foot. Uh, creation tells us that our help can come alone from Him. And we can go to other places that seek His blessing. Psalm 134. Behold, bless ye the Lord, all ye servants of the Lord, which by night stand in the house of, house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and... Bless the Lord, the Lord that made heaven and earth. Bless thee out of Zion. We see him as the source of all blessings. Why? Because he's creator. So one more place, or actually I'll just, you don't have to even turn there. But God intended such worship from the beginning, said frame, which is to say that God created the world as in our definition for his own glory to bring praise to himself. Again, the heavens declare the glory of God. It shows his wisdom, his handiwork, his craftiness. Uh, uh, Isaiah 43 says, I will say to the north, give up to the south, do not withhold, bring forth sons from afar and daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory when I formed and made them. Or the doxologies that are constantly given by Paul for, for where he breaks out into song at the end and sometimes in the middle of his letters saying unto him and through him and to him are all things. Everything is for his glory. And we see that in the doctrine of creation. Now next week we're going to take a, few, a little bit and talk about 
creation in lordship and creation in, uh, in redemption and how those ideas are related. But we're going to stop right there. We've got about 15 minutes before the second hour.